Welcome to Navigating Your Financial Journey with Kelly and Matt from Palomar Wealth. In this podcast, we help individuals and families who are ready to create stability for now, security for the future, and flexibility for those moments that change life's trajectory. Please join us as we plot the course towards financial success. Welcome back to Navigating Your Financial Journey. We're here again. This is Kelly. And I'm Matt. And today we're focused on a topic that is not always comfortable for everyone. We're going to be discussing estate planning, looking out for what estate planning, um, what is the meaning of estate planning itself, um, what that includes, some of the important processes behind it, and also some recommendations on how you can make this estate plan your own um, to find the best solutions in your situation, who you'd resource or who you would use for a resource, and also um, just a, a good recommendation for all of us about how to build your own legacy box. So let's talk about a statistic that I hope starts a fire under folks. In 2021, this was a caring.com survey, 32.9% of adults had a will. Effectively, two-thirds of the population does not have any type of estate plan established in a will type capacity. Yeah. Thinking about that, Kelly and I, you know, briefing before this episode, we're just talking about different, you know, stories personally and just stories we've heard of, of clients and just in general, you know, uh, of different unfortunate mm-hmm. events that have occurred because of there not being a end of life plan, you know, estate plan in place for, for families. I had the comment of it's the best gift you can give your family is having that plan in place and they know what your wishes were. And we'll also talk a little bit about if you need to set controls and how that would work. Yeah, it, it, it truly is a, a nice last gift for your family. You know, it's giving them that fighting chance to know, okay, well, this is what, you know, that family member wanted. They, they laid it out and uh, I just, you know, have to follow through with all those different different items that they've established. So uh, let's just dive in and, and start talking about all these different elements. So what is an estate? It really is just everything that you own. So everything that you have uh, with your name on it that you own that might be your home, any other material items, uh, real property, um, artwork even, antiques, if you happen to have some sort of jewelry or other personal property of value. I'm thinking, I know people sometimes have collections. Mm-hmm. Thinking of one specific person recently talking about their baseball and yeah, sports memorabilia. Yeah, memorabilia. And, and knowing that all of those things will all be included under your estate, that whole umbrella of what you owned. Yeah, and so that's kind of the personal property side of things and the real property side of things. But then you also have the intangible, so investments, insurance. If you are a business owner, that could be part of your estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, anything that basically is, is essentially tied back to you as, as the individual. You had a piece of ownership in something. Mm-hmm. I think it's good for folks to understand the kind of order of operations of what happens when you pass away or someone you, you know, a family member passes away. What, what does that trigger? What does that kick yeah. off and if you're how lucky, does it work? If you're lucky enough not to know what that looks like, then this is definitely here to help lay out what is the framework. Yeah. So any, and talking about an investment account, so you're checking your savings account, retirement accounts, taxable investment accounts. Mm-hmm. If you 
have a beneficiary designated on that account, it will pass to that individual or individuals regardless whether you have a will or a trust established. Yes. It's called a transfer on death or a beneficiary designation. It's going to happen. That is kind of that first level of what could happen with assets. If you have not established that on an account, then that's where it's basically going to default to go to your estate. That'll be the term, you know, it'll be assigned to your state. Uh, then that's the next layer, okay? If you had a will or a trust set up, then you would have established, you know, a sequence of events and who that would be going to through that will. And I think this is an important moment just to kind of separate out and say, what is a trust? Because I think that term might not be something people, yes, are familiar with, but maybe not fully understand. And they're not synonymous terms. Right. They are distinct being in a will. So like a will is like your legal document saying, here I am, Kelly Holloway. These are my last words. These are my intended recipients, beneficiaries of these items, either specific or separated in equal portions, naming out those people. But when you have a trust, it is a legal entity of its own. So Matt, if you could kind of talk more, especially in your tax <laughs> sense, if you get a whole new tax yeah. number for that. We could get into acronym world because there are many different varieties of trusts. Yeah, but, so you know, just and crets and don't even start. Bringing it up to the <laughs> 30,000 foot view, you know, breaking it down into revocable or irrevocable trusts. Uh, that terminology just meaning that if it's a revocable trust, it can be changed uh, by the, you know, original grantor, the, the first person who established that. Where an irrevocable trust is you're setting it up and then hands off. I like your uh, analogy of it, the revocable trust being set in sand, yes. irrevocable, set in set stone. In stone. Essentially, that trust becomes a standalone entity itself, and you can actually assign assets to that while you're alive, even. You know, so many people mm-hmm. will move their deed over their home into the trust. If you ever are, you know, looking at the real estate records, I if, totally you see, do. <laughs> <laughs> if you see something that says, you know, the so, such and such family trust, they have moved that home instead of being owned as, mm-hmm. you know, an individual, they've had trust that now owns that Uh, so it's its own entity uh, that exists prior to you passing away I think that's just an important designation to know like what a will is versus a trust and so the trust sometimes is initiated by the death of a person but then it can also exist while you're alive and so just just knowing that that's its own separate entity is just a good helpful bit yep Kelly talk about also you know what could happen if you pass away with none of these items. You know, we've talked about having a beneficiary designation on accounts, you know, having a trust that already exists, but there's also how it's handled with their, when there is nothing. Now, there is no will. that term is that you would die intestate, meaning you don't have any legal documentation, such as a will, to designate where your assets go, where does your estate go, who receives it. And so then it becomes state's deciding the state is the one choosing through the um, probate court who gets it how it's distributed and that may not always align with what a person intended in their life especially when you think about family and sometimes there you know are schisms or there might be someone who's who's dealt with some sort of you know drug or alcohol addiction and the last thing you want is for them to be gifted a large amount of money not knowing what the outcome could be so yeah. just keeping that in mind to, to have a will just on the very base level would, would help direct 
your assets where you actually intended them to go. So kind of high level there, you know, the concepts of, of estate planning and the types that, that you could be doing. And so we know this would be a good benefit is what does the actual death claim process look like? Okay, so you, you've had a family member that's passed away. What's that going to kick off? What are the steps that are going to happen? How do you handle that process? For the most part, you're going to need some type of documentation that the mm -hmm. person is deceased. You know, they usually the funeral home is the one that's going to be in charge of that, but you get a copy of the death certificates. And so sometimes they ask for originals though too. So knowing that there's a cost per creation, and copies, so yeah. yeah, to know that. And sometimes that's determined by a dollar threshold. Uh, some financial institutions, if the you know asset that's going to be transferred to a beneficiary is above a certain dollar amount, that's what will determine, hey, I want an original copy versus, mm -hmm. you know, just a copy. Depending on the rules uh, and the accounts that are being passed on, that could require other accounts being opened first before assets could be received. So yeah, I'm like thinking the, about... The beneficiary uh, needs to have their own account created at that same company level that same custodian to say okay I'm ready to receive those and then from there they could distribute it to themselves or to another account but there's definitely a lot of paperwork and processing and time and energy that goes into that transfer of of the assets yeah. and so that's kind of addressing you know those assets that had beneficiary designations but let's also talk about the claim process for assets that might be falling subject to probate so that would mm -hmm. be whether you had a will or you did not so a will those assets will be probated if you died interstate then also it's going to go through probate and the court's going to be making those decisions petitioning the court to probate you know probate really just means the court is validating the will if there is one and then assigning the executor if you named one or if one's not named a personal representative mm -hmm. to represent that and then from that point all the assets and debts need to be identified. There is a, usually it's a newspaper type requirement where the death has to be posted so that any creditors that are out there have a set amount of time that they can yes. you know, approach the estate for, for collection. After that, and, and again, there's a time, time length that has to go by. I know executor would be paying any debts, paying final expenses. And this is a point where they might have to actually sell assets, uh, depending yeah, on how you had planned and, and structured. If there's debts left over, uh, some of those assets could be going away. And that goes into the whole planning of, you know, if you had intents for people to get things, you know, if something has to be sold off, then that could be interrupting, you know, what your final plans were. Yeah, they could receive less or nothing at all. Yeah. The assets, after all that's said and done, would be distributed based on how you would set up in the will or if it was no will, then the state's intestacy laws would would come into play. And those typically follow a familial line, next of kin type strategy. Each yep. state will vary to some degree, but that's how that would play out. And would you say, is it fair to say it's about six to 12 months to get through this whole process? Does it yeah, vary? I mean, it probably side. I mean, it's going to vary, but just the creditor notification process, I think sometimes may even be nine months. Um, so there's, you know, you're looking at a longer time horizon of getting a probated yeah, from, estate. From start to finish and yeah. thinking too about if you do have a will in place and you've set aside specific assets to go to 
especially dependents, um, whether they be your like minor children or if you have an, a, a parent living with you who is a dependent of yours now, um, how will they be cared for during that time? So something to, to anticipate as well during mm-hmm. your planning. Kelly, talk to, to the audience some about you know, deciding what level of estate planning. You know, we, did, we delineated between trusts and wills and things like that. So let's talk about you know, deciding on what level might be right for, for an individual. I think really it's important for people to know that in the end it's their decision and really being informed on what are the advantages and disadvantages of each option. Because a will on its own is a really great framework. It's going to help you um, get that final message across, this is what I intended. Um, And for most people who have just maybe a few assets, like I have my retirement account and I have a life insurance, and that's direct enough that all you need is to put the beneficiaries on those specific accounts or contracts, then that that could be sufficient for you. But Mm -hmm. if somebody has, like in my situation, we have four kids and the oldest is a senior in high school and the youngest is a preschooler. So we have a wide variety of needs. Thinking about a trust, would I want all my kids who have such a large difference of time between them to receive, let's say my husband and I both died at the same time, to receive all those assets, even if they were young adults at the same time? Or would I want to create some sort of mechanism, uh, such as a trust, to be able to kick in some protections and some mm-hmm. fences and some guidelines. So if I wanted to say, okay, if, if everything goes to the trust at both my husband and mine uh, at our death, then I would be able to say, okay, well then if the 25% beneficiary of our trust, uh, let's say our oldest, is now needing money for college, we would set aside a certain amount for that, either be a percentage, whatever we decided. And so it really would ensure that we could from – a different place, hopefully it's heaven, um, <laughs> be able to help still guide them and not give them 100% access from either a very young age or the time frame of, of when they're young adults, they yeah. may not always be What's a 16-year-old fully developed. all the assets versus something that's more Yeah, and, and with the trust too is you're placing someone in place, uh, kind of acting in your stead, um, to look out for the beneficiaries to be the fiduciary. So that's your trustee. And so that trustee is going to then be able to mediate and say, right, the Mm -hmm. beneficiary has this need, and then they can really um, evaluate and decide, is that a actual need? Because I do have children who say they need things, (laughs) (laughs) but maybe not necessarily um, what I would define as a need. So looking out for them from the other side and knowing that I, I would have them set up for success so okay you're, you're going to college you're getting married you're buying your first house at age let's just say 40. I, I don't know if that's going to be the number but we're actually in the process right now of setting this up and so having some level of controls to be able to help guide them uh, and that is a peace of mind for us. And, and knowing that you know if you set this up in a revocable type trust situation or even a will like we said, set in the sand, meaning that you could later on down the road make changes to this. So right. you're trying to make this fit for roughly what would meet today's needs, but life will change and being able to come back in later and, and updating that as as children age and, and other things happen. And one of the other positives I didn't mention yet was if we do have it set to the trust as, um, let's pretend like my life insurance um, and my husband's life insurance is set to the Holloway Family Trust, then 
we don't have to go through probate with that asset. So the trust uh, will have an account set up to receive those those funds, uh, the death proceeds, and then will be available to be used. And so we don't have to have that time limit of waiting for the probate process to be completed. Yeah, probate, probate avoidance is one of the potential drawing factors to someone going with a trust-based plan versus a will. Some just more general things to put out there and for folks to know is that you can actually create your own legal documents. There is no rule of law that says, Matt Rupert, Kelly Holloway, you must get your will or estate done through the law offices of so-and-so. So-and-so. But also, uh, we are not legal professionals. I'm going to just put that little caveat in there. And so, you know, we there is definitely there are situations where having a legal professional is really crucial. So not to say that we can completely skip that step. In some situations, that's the right step. But for those of us who maybe aren't at that level. When we talk to clients about what's the right path to go, and Kelly kind of gave this example earlier, if you had most of your assets were set up as direct beneficiaries and you were not concerned about setting up those protections or I like to call them gates for you know, the beneficiaries to pass before they get access to assets, then a simple basic will might be the approach. And mm-hmm. you could consider, you know, there are many online legal uh, resources where you can yeah. craft your own documents and that could be totally okay. Yeah. Um, Some of them, and, and we are not endorsing any of these, but just to know that these are the ones that are out there. Um, probably the most familiar people have heard of LegalZoom. There's mm-hmm. Law Depot, Lawyer Ahead, Rocket Lawyer. Is it NOLO? NOLO. Makes, makes yeah. me think of New Orleans. Um, and then Mama Bear Legal, which I know is the Dave Ramsey kind of yeah. partner that I've heard. And I've seen several people use that. And so, again, it's peace of mind knowing that the directions are there. And it's something that I think for most of those, you complete them in kind of a fill uh PDF style, and then you would have them notarized by a notary public, which usually is available like at your bank, or we have notary publics who are some of our team members. Mm-hmm. So just knowing that you have the ability at a very low cost yep. to be able to create these documents. Yep. We are going to post in the show notes a very good article by the American Bar Association that discusses DIY do-it-yourself estate planning. Uh, so definitely check that out as if you're exploring this in more detail to kind of give you some more food for thought in that space. I think too, beyond just, you know, you're having your will. And then if you go to the next step with the trust, that's really important and foundational, but there are other uh, documents that we want to include in the conversation for a state. And so looking at things like your power of attorney, that could be for assets or healthcare, um, looking at a living will to say what, you know, end of life interventions am I comfortable mm-hmm. with? So, you know, let's let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So important thing to know about power of attorneys, they can be the POA for finances, power of attorney for healthcare, sometimes called healthcare directives. Those are separate legal documents mm-hmm. outside of the will and trust. Keep in mind that those are only actually in effect while you are still alive. No one is a POA once someone has passed away. There's not a power of attorney for a will. The POA is its own separate classification and and that's you know think about you're in a car wreck you get in a coma someone then is to step in and act on your behalf for making financial decisions making health care decisions so mm-hmm. when you are putting together your state plan that is a very important piece to say okay who's you know if i can't do it myself but i'm still here who's going to do that yeah, who do i trust to stand in my shoes and say i represent this person yeah um very commonly you know 
in a married situation, each spouse is acting in that capacity in, in a first level sense, but you, you know, highly encouraged to consider having multiple layers of who you have so that if one person is no longer here or if someone can't act in that capacity that you have listed out a few people that would, you know, yeah. could step in and fill that role. And ideally, these are people you actually talk to ahead of time. So yes. this is not a surprise for them <laughs> yeah. when this occurs. Yeah. Just this whole conversation about estate planning is encourage folks to anyone who's going to be a part of it probably should be involved in that conversation. Now, there's a debate about whether you tell the beneficiaries of you know, assets that they might mm-hmm. be getting. But I'm talking about the actual successor trustees, the people who are going to be your POAs, who's going to be a guardian if you have oh, minor the children. the guardian's the biggest one. Because yeah, that's a, a huge thing to say, will you care for my children? Yeah. Will you be the parent to my children? I mean, think about that. If that was something that you put as a surprise in a will, yeah. um, that may not be received uh, positively. Oh. And so definitely I would encourage people too, like Matt said, is to have several listed. So if choice one isn't available or declines the responsibility because something has changed, then we've got choice two, we've got choice three. So there's still some place for people to know these were my um, these were my intentions. One of the nice things about trusts, they are very flexible documents. Uh, and even in the guardianship, which is actually part of the will, you can put in, you know, more specific detail around like, I, you know, I name John and Jane Doe as guardians of my kids but only if they remain married or only if they stay within a certain geographical range of Mm -hmm. where we're at right now. As you think about these things, know that there's flexibility in what you can do. I think maybe important to say like the springing power of attorney. So you could have someone set up as your springing power of attorney. I don't necessarily want that person to act in my stead legally today, but if I were to be incapacitated, that's at that incapacitation event, event yeah. yeah, the trigger event, then they would have the ability to then um, take care of any legal or health uh, needs that, that we may have. And so um, I think, yeah, having these conversations with people is probably the most important thing. And I know it's not easy. It's not easy to come no. to someone and say, Here what, here's what I'm planning. And it can be an uncomfortable conversation, but I think it's an opportunity too because you're sharing something with somebody that's deeply personal and that could affect everyone's lives. And so I think a lot of people in the end, I'm hoping uh, would appreciate that they're being included in that conversation that you care for them or think so highly of them that they would be offered the opportunity to, to be there when you need them the most. And the conversation that we had with our, you know, people that we've selected for guardians is letting them know that, Hey, we've planned for, you know, resources to be there in the event that we were gone to help fill that role. Yeah, because I'm very true. It could be a financial concern because some people may feel, yes, I emotionally would like to care for your children in the event of your death, but am I financially able to? Because it's a huge responsibility. That's very, very fair. But the last thing that we really want to highlight, this one's going longer than I thought it would, uh, is the legacy box. And I think this being, other than your will being last gifts, the organization factor of having a legacy box is a, a huge gift on its own. So Matt, if you want to share a little bit about what's in a legacy box. Yeah, so the documents that you know you want to consider having in this are really anything financially related, medical wishes, funeral plans, uh, kind of mm-hmm. a one-stop shop for executor, personal representative is, that's going to be able to access these and say, okay, this is helping me create that inventory of everything there is. I know where to access accounts. 
Um, know how to log into know it. Know how to log in. So we talk about passwords, you know, having access to that information. Um, Kelly, I know you've talked about like the digital footprint side of things. Yeah, if you think about nowadays, how many places have your information, whether that be, and this is kind of silly, but you know, my target red card and I've got my target circle and maybe I want to turn that off of having access to my uh, debit card or having my Facebook account, um, I guess not just deleted, however they call it, uh, deactivated probably is the right term. but. I know this has upset people before um, where they have had an important person in their life pass away and then no one was responsible for taking care of those digital assets. And then, you know, on their birthday every year, you get the happy birthday to this Mm -hmm. person who's no longer with us. And then you think, oh my goodness, why do I have to be reminded? And maybe for some people that could be a celebration. definitely is a viewpoint there. Uh, But for other people, that could be um, a really emotional trigger and, Mm -hmm. and, and be upsetting. And so finding ways to help kind of shut all those digital assets down. And there's also the risk of identity theft still, even as a deceased person. Mm-hmm. And so knowing if you can take away the risk of having someone steal a deceased person's identity, that's you know high priority as well. So including those, um, here's my accounts, here's my passwords in that legacy box, it's a job, but it's definitely one that's important to, to help start to peel that back. Well, yes, like Kelly said, this has been a, a longer episode than I was expecting, but a lot of lot of good information and would kind of close with our practice would love to help you get some framework and structure around your estate planning. Again, looking at this house of security, mm-hmm. building that house out, this is a component of that. And we do have specific resources that we can help in crafting uh, estate plans, um, but having that conversation with us or another specialist is definitely a step in the right direction. Absolutely. And if nothing else, it's the best gift you can give your family this year and any year. Okay. With that, we will close the episode and we appreciate you listening. All right. See you next time. Thanks for joining Kelly and Matt to learn about navigating your financial journey. Your time, ears, and brain space are appreciated. Subscribe below to be notified as new episodes are published. Visit www.palomarwealth.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and the opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Palomar Wealth. Palomar Wealth does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Palomar Wealth is part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be suitable for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider for any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.